0: that time of the week again it's time for chit chat across the pond this is episode number 479 for march 6 2017 and i'm your host allison sheridan this week our guest is steve ewell executive director of the consumer technology association foundation steve and i met at the csun's uh, assistive technology conference last week but we should have met at CES. but uh one thing led to another anyway
1: welcome to the show steve well, thank you for having me. It was great to meet you and Steve at, out at CSUN and uh, just to see all the interesting stuff that you're covering in the space.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a a labor of love. I just uh, I get such a kick out of the, the cool gadgets and everything that come out of CSUN and uh, looking forward to those uh, those interviews coming out. But um, let's let's back up a little bit. So you work for CTA, Consumer Technology Association and Foundation, and CTA has something to do with CES. Is that right?
1: Yes. It's a little bit of an alphabet soup here, I guess uh, you might say. Uh, CTA is the Consumer Technology Association, and they're the trade association. So they represent over 2,000 uh, technology companies, and they're also the organization that runs uh, CES, which is the uh, uh, trade show in Las Vegas every January. That We really love the, the coverage that you uh, bring to that show. Um, the CTA Foundation is actually... A relatively new piece. Uh, we launched this foundation about five years ago. It's a, a separate organization, it's a charitable organization, although we're affiliated with CTA. I'm based out of CTA's uh, headquarters and uh, uh, do a, a lot of work with the association. But what we are is essentially a charitable organization that the association decided to set up as a way to give back to the community. So uh, we've been around for about five years and uh, when we started the foundation, we were looking around at what sort of issues we should take on. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of important charitable causes, uh, obviously. And when we looked at what people in our industry or companies in our industry tend to focus on, a lot of it is uh, kids and STEM education, which is critical. It's something that we highly encourage people to get involved with. but. We realized that there was actually a, a real opportunity to focus on both aging and disability issues because they don't get a whole lot of attention. I think aging uh, gets about two percent of philanthropic dollars in the U.S. and disability is really only about four percent. So uh, wow. we figured rather than being you know one more organization uh, focusing on the same sort of issues, we'd try something a little bit different. So uh, you know we set up the foundation, and we've been working with groups across the country uh, trying to look at how technology can help older adults and people with disabilities.
0: Oh, that's really interesting. Now, w- when you give those percentages, you're saying the percentage of all charitable contributions or of uh, technology-related charitable contributions?
1: Now, that's all charitable contributions, and that those are numbers based off the the Foundation Center, which is an organization that kind of looks at uh, major foundations and and what they give grants. And so, you know, I don't know that they're 100 percent accurate as far as uh, uh, numbers go. They may miss uh, smaller donations, but They are essentially the the best numbers we could find as we were digging around looking for, uh, you know, how much money goes to different types of causes. Okay. well, I'm uh, not going to
0: pin you down to the third decimal point. I just (laughs) want to make sure I understood the context. And that is interesting because we do uh, push the STEM topics, obviously. Uh, That's a that's a a big thing that we all believe in. But if uh, with any luck, all of us are aging.
1: (laughs) That that is much better than the alternative. Exactly. I also look at it as, you know, just because we're focusing more on aging and disability doesn't mean that STEM's not an important issue in those topics as well. Sure, uh, sure. You know, we can all learn STEM. I mean, that's one of the amazing things listening to, um, you know, you and your your work around learning new new times to code or new ways to code. Uh, you know, we're we're all learning regardless of what age we're at.
0: One as you say, one can only hope right
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's right that's right
0: so the c t a f- foundation is a charitable foundation, so you guys get get contributions from benefactors, and then you figure out where you want to spend the money
1: yeah essentially yeah uh, the the nice thing is when the association set us up, they actually uh started us with uh some startup funding, so we've been able to get going as a foundation uh, with uh, support from the association. Um, So it's really only recently, now that we're about five years old, that we've started to go out and, um, you know, bring in some additional resources. The nice thing is the association covers, you know, they cover the cost of of me and I have uh, one other employee that's working with me on the foundation. So we're a we're a pretty small staff. We try to keep it efficient. Um, and they cover basically all of our overhead as well as, quite frankly, most of our uh, grants and programming at this point. But we have gone out and started to develop relationships where uh, organizations like you know, Qualcomm and ARP and Verizon uh, and IBM have come in and started to support, as well as a number of individuals who have given us uh, support. So those are all you know uh, contributions that we can turn around and uh, put right back into uh, our mission. So we look for nonprofits uh, around the country that are using technology to help either older adults or people with disabilities, or quite frankly, uh, given the, the size of our uh, scope and size of our budget, we often find times where uh, yeah, both of those topics can be covered with one uh, program. So we've been doing things from San Diego to New York and all over the country.
0: Okay. So it's probably time I make a confession to the audience here that I've confessed to you a couple of times. Um, in our coverage of CES, Steve and I made a particular point to go find the accessibility pavilion at CES. And while we knew we were in the right region, we had a lot of trouble finding people to interview, finding uh, booths that were actually related to Uh, accessibility. And I talked about that on the show that we were disappointed. And Steve wrote me an email saying, hey, that was me. Can we talk? And I blew him off and never wrote back. I did, however, write a nice post-it note that I kept on my desk for the last uh, two months, not calling him back. But that's about it. But anyway, (laughs) so tell me what you're trying to accomplish at CES.
1: Sure. Well, it, it makes a lot of sense given the, the focus of our foundation. We want to make sure we have the opportunity to highlight the number of technologies that are out there and helping uh, people with disabilities and, and the various uh, accessible technologies. So, yes, we launched the accessibility marketplace two years ago. Um, you know, it's still a, a very small portion, especially in a, a show the size of CES. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a thousand well, booths
0: would, st- would be small.
1: So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it is something that I do hope to continue to grow. And uh, quite frankly, one of the challenges we've had with that space is so many of the companies that do accessibility um, are already located in other places around the show. So, uh, for mm-hmm. instance, there's companies like uh, Toby, which does the the eye gaze uh, um, uh, hardware. They are already in the the gaming and virtual reality area of the show. And, oh, now that's uh, that's interesting. We
0: interviewed Toby Magnavox about uh, their their eye gazing uh, technology. And uh, but so th- why did they place themselves over there? Is that just to get more closer to the hype?
1: Well, to be honest, I think it was because they've been exhibiting from long before we had an accessibility marketplace. Okay. So that was an area that uh, uh, made a lot of sense to them. We also have, you know, companies that are doing uh, hearing assistive uh, technologies. They tend to be in the the health and fitness area or uh, in the okay. the audio area. So that's been one of the the challenges we've had: is how do we start to highlight these types of technologies? regardless of where they are on the show floor, because um, you also run into the, the large companies, the uh, the Samsungs and LGs and Panasonics and, and those sorts of companies, which are all in the central hall. Um, and they're obviously not going to move their booth to uh, be in the accessibility marketplace, but they do have things within their uh, booth that they want to highlight that are accessibility-focused. So oh, that's something that, that I'm working on. Okay. Yeah, Samsung actually uh, uh, had an entire section of their show or of their booth that uh, highlighted accessible technologies. Uh, um, So it was something that covered some of the the different aspects of their phones and uh, TVs and and other uh, technology that they had. So, yeah, it's really kind of interesting to see. But that's one of the challenges that I'm trying to figure out is how do we – Bring that to the forefront. Um, The other thing we have is the Eureka Park area, which we had over 600 startups uh, in there. And one of the things we do as a foundation is we uh, have a contest uh, and have a bunch of startups compete. For five boosts, uh, if they can show how their technology is related to uh, helping either older adults or people with disabilities. And it doesn't have to be dedicated, accessible technology. It could just be if they have the right messaging for how their technology could help in this space, we uh, were interested in seeing it and highlighting it. So we had – this is the second year we brought five companies out to uh, talk about uh, what they're doing. And, you know, they're startups. They tend to be very new, but uh, it's always interesting to see. You know, this year we had everything from a couple companies that were working with the blind and low vision community to – a company that was uh, using the Microsoft Connect to translate sign language, and we even had a, a company that created a um, airbag belt to prevent uh, hip fractures and, and falls for older adults. So, oh, I actually uh, yeah.
0: saw I saw that one. I saw a, a video. Where we actually saw them present at a special event at CES. That one sounded really silly. <laughs> I, I got to say so the the idea is it's a uh, it's an airbag that deploys if you fall. But seriously, how often they talked about skiing? How often do you fall when you ski? All the time, well, right?
1: If you fall and, all the time and, and
0: think, you can't you can't blow it back up again. It's a one-time use, right?
1: Well, and that may be, you know, to be honest, I don't know about the skiing aspect of it. What we were looking at is the number of hip fractures that occur uh, for older adults when they fall. And that can actually be a a major debilitating uh, occurrence. So um, it was just interesting to see. Uh, the reaction that they've received, uh, both, you know, obviously at CES, but even at uh, other conferences related to aging. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where you look at some of these ideas and, and you don't know what to think at first, but, you know, it's obviously an area that seems to be getting quite a bit of attention uh, in this space.
0: I guess it's, yeah, I, I get that they're trying to look at that. The, the context that they gave it in, in this uh, presentation was definitely about skiing and motorcycling. And I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe it was a different company though. Maybe this is a different uh, strategy. This one company was going towards versus the other. Could have I th- been. I think it was yeah, more of a heard that aspect Okay. Okay. Yeah. So the one you're talking about sounds like it makes a lot more sense. Just because the whole idea was this thing only deploys once. I'm thinking, okay, I skied down the first, the first run I fell over. Okay, I'm done. I can't ski again today.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't be as useful. So yeah, I don't know. That's not, uh, that's not the pitch I heard. So it could be a different company.
0: Yeah, yeah. That sounds a little more, a little more intelligent. What the company you're talking about was looking for, for sure.
1: So um,
0: we met at CSUN. And uh, so what was your focus at CSUN? What were you trying to do there?
1: Well, uh, I was actually invited out there to uh, sit on a, a panel. Uh, we actually have been doing some work with IBM this past year, uh, looking at the, the market around uh, cognitive computing, which to IBM, that's Watson. Um, and sure. it does a whole lot more than answer Jeopardy questions these days. <laughs> but uh, but really, as a, uh industry, I wanted to look at it even broader, kind of artificial intelligence and cognitive computing across a number of companies that are working in this space and what impact that could potentially have on the aging market. So, you know, How are these technologies going to help us all as we age? So we worked together with uh, IBM last year on a a report we called OutThink Aging, uh, where we actually engaged a number of student teams through this uh, academic Olympics program uh, to come up with different uh, market opportunities and and compete around what – what opportunities there might be for these technologies. So uh, essentially, what we came down to finding is that there would be opportunities to use this as a knowledge as a service. Essentially, um, you know how to answer questions for for people or deliver um, different services that people might need by helping to predict uh, those needs by being able to build community uh, by. Uh, essentially, helping people connect um and then to help combat uh, financial fraud, which is a, a major concern for uh, older adults these days so before you get uh, into
0: the financial fraud back back me up there, so you're talking about artificial intelligence to help people answer questions like give me the context for somebody with a disability
1: sure, uh something like that, you know you can almost look at it as. Um, a concierge service. So this could be something um, like what many people are using with, um, you know, Amazon, uh, uh, their services, uh, Echo, uh, with uh, Google Home and and with other types of products. But being able to help deliver even more, help to uh, predict some of the needs that people might have and Proactively reach out in addition to uh, reactively uh, following up with people. So, so that's something in the
0: disability framework. Like, give me an example of what you mean.
1: So in the disability framework, I might look at that for work with, uh, with people with cognitive disabilities and uh, being able to help to remind people of, you know, whether it is uh, reminders around taking medication or, for instance, if it's a more mobile application, it might be um, as someone is taking a bus to the store, uh, helping to uh, remind them what, um, you know, what they're going to the store for what they what is on their shopping list uh, and things along those lines
0: hm okay okay, I see where you're going.
1: So this is something we we pulled together that report, and that was something that CSUN had asked us to come uh, deliver at at the show this year. So we highlighted that, but actually part of what we really wanted to highlight is a second year of the partnership, in which case we brought in another company uh, called Local Motors, uh, which is a a small automotive company that 3D prints vehicles. And we've been working with the IBM, Local Motors, and actually a number of other uh, partners on... Brainstorming and crowdsourcing what would an accessible self-driving vehicle look like hmm. uh, and, and it's one of those where you know the the very basics uh, are you know meeting ADA requirements of so you have to be able to get wheelchairs into it you have to um, and, and this is really kind of looking at a, a small kind of uh, community bus versus a, a personal car. So this is something that you might have on a, a campus or uh, whether a, a university campus or uh, potentially um, like a, a corporate uh, environment or a, maybe even a small town or something along those lines. Oh, okay. But okay, how, how would you make that vehicle as accessible as possible? So we wanted to go out and talk to a variety of communities, whether it is um, – you know, the blind and low vision community, the, the deaf and hard of hearing, uh, cognitive. Uh, we actually, while we were out in San Diego, we had a chance to uh, visit a number of senior centers from the, the Fort uh, front porch uh, senior communities oh. and meet with focus groups there and, and talk about, you know, how would they uh, be interested in, in Designing a vehicle like this. So uh, that's really what we're looking for is feedback from the community. And the interesting thing with a company like uh, local motors, because they do small batch uh, uh, vehicle production, they're trying to take and integrate all these ideas to try to make this the most accessible vehicle they can. And then, you know, my goal being uh, kind of the broader industry is how do we share that kind of across the, the vehicle manufacturers to really highlight uh, the different accessibility opportunities and ideas that come from the community at large?
0: Oh, that's fantastic. I, I, in our discussion, Steve and I were talking, he said uh, he doesn't get to have an ever so slight anything bias that he has to work for everybody, right? <laughs> so you're not just that- working with Ford. You want to make sure that, that all of the auto manufacturers have this information about what they could be doing in an accessible self-driving car.
1: Exactly. I, I want to make sure that we have as many good products that are uh, working well for people as possible. So, um, yeah, I I don't get to have the ever-so-swipe bias, but uh, <laughs> I get to play with a lot of toys, so oh, it makes yeah. up for it.
0: Well, <laughs> I, as soon as you said self-driving car and people with disabilities, I just realized, I mean, that that's the holy grail. I mean, if, if you suddenly didn't have to take the public transit to get everywhere— you could go to a job much more efficiently you could work more hours you could be a, a more of a contributor to society if you could get moved around by a self-driving car whatever your disability is that i mean that's that's much more important than those of us who can drive getting a self-driving car i mean that's important cuz we got to stop killing each other with our cars but
1: yeah and that's really kind of what why I'm so excited about it. And and I'll admit, I'm someone who, uh, I think I mentioned to you, I have a a long commute I take every day. So I'd love to be able to turn that over to my car and not have to worry about it. But uh, one of the things we did at CES this year is we had a a panel discussion where we had the uh, president of the National Federation of the Blind, and we had a representative who uh, had just retired from the American Foundation for the Blind, as well as uh, someone from AARP, talking about the impact that these, uh, self-driving technologies could have on their communities. Because when you think about it, uh, losing your license, whether it's because of age or because of loss of vision or, or cognitive disabilities, uh, and, you know, if you've been blind since birth or, or since childhood, you may never have been able to drive. Uh, that is a, a major change in, in quality of life for, um, For any of us, so we really see a a major opportunity, and that's actually one of the interesting things we got from talking to some of these uh, senior communities when we were out there. Is talking about the public transit and needing to book, you know, three, four days uh, in advance, and then getting a, you know, four or five hour window that you have to uh, be available just to go get your hair done or or go to the doctor's office. You know, if we have and and certainly nowadays with uh, the ride sharing services, there's a lot of opportunities now to be able to uh, summon vehicles uh, when needed. But we really see some some major opportunity for independence uh, uh, when these uh, when self-driving comes about as well.
0: I think that's something that those of us who don't have disabilities have trouble getting into our thick skulls is independence and the importance of that i mean i can tell you that's important but i i can't tell you how many times i've i've written to a company because i see they've got a an inaccessible captcha on a website and they say and their answer is always well they can just have somebody do it for them that and it's just like no that's not what anybody wants i mean do you want to have to always ask somebody to help you do everything and so to have a self-driving car where you're not even depending now on a driver to come to you and do your bidding. You're, you're just saying, no, this is, this is a car. I get in it and then I am independent. I'm in control of what's happening. And that, that control and being independent is, is just so crucial to the quality of life. Exactly. Like you said.
1: Yeah. uh, Without a doubt. And and it really is. It's something about uh, creating that independence. And then it's also a matter of when you look at, um, you know, social isolation, which is a major issue in both the aging and disability communities, um, the ability to get out and not just leave the house because you have to go to a medical appointment, but to leave the house because you want to go, you know, go shopping or you want to go, uh, to a restaurant and, and really, uh, just kind of more social engagement along those lines. Um, You know, right now we hear from people who say they don't do that because they're worried about being a a burden on, you know, friends or family. Uh, And that's, you know, we have the technologies to help solve that. So that's something that I'm very passionate about.
0: I just finished reading a book on a, on uh, memory and talking about aging and what we can do to keep our brains more active. And one of the most interesting things I read right towards the end of the book was they explained that those who do socialize have better memory that if you're, if you just, you know, curl into yourself and stay home and don't get to go out because you don't want to be a burden or there's nobody who will help you or, you know, whatever the reason is that, that, that can have an impact on your uh, cognition, on your, on your memory. And it, that was, that was really kind of scary to think about. Right.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I haven't uh, read that book particularly, so I don't know the the research behind it, but we certainly have seen it in a number of aspects. You know, one of the programs we supported is a a group called Music and Memory that um, utilizes music for uh, people with Alzheimer's or or dementia. And it is amazing when you play a a song that comes from someone's childhood or or from growing up. it just re-engages the the brain in, in an amazing way. So I think social interaction is much the same. You know, arts and engagement and things like you know, learning a new language. Uh, there's, there's been a lot of research on how this can really kind of keep us uh, keep us going.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, you bring up music. Uh, my, my mother, the pod mom, had a uh, had a stroke at one point, and uh, I, I read that you could actually get somebody to rebuild the connections back to that part of the brain through having them play piano and my mother played piano and the oddest thing was she couldn't speak very much right after the stroke but she played piano for us and it was beautiful so yeah there's some weird connection of music to uh to our cognition that's for sure
1: oh without a doubt it is
0: yeah so what what kind of interesting things did you see at csun that you were excited about
1: you know, I to be honest, I only had a little bit of time to uh, walk the, the exhibit uh, floor, so uh, there were certainly some uh, interesting technologies. Actually, a, a few that I'll, I'll say I did see at CES as well. As far as uh, you know, some of the the bigger companies like the the VFOs with their um, you know, Freedom Scientific and, and other uh, companies under there. I, I'm uh, not familiar
0: at all with that company. With what is it VFO?
1: It's VFO. It's actually a combination of a few uh, companies have come together. So it it was Freedom Scientific, which is the company behind JAWS and um, those sorts of uh, technologies, Uh, AI Squared, and I think the third company was Optelec. So they've all kind of joined together, uh, I think it was about a year or so ago. Uh, to a company called VFO, so uh, they're you know one of the the major manufacturers of magnifiers and um, and other devices along those lines, as well as uh, software like Jaws. So definitely had a chance to see them. Had a chance to see actually one of uh, our uh, startup winners, uh, this company called Ira, which does the. Um, Kind of concierge service through uh, a Google glass like interface, so oh, yeah we, uh,
0: Michael somebody is the guy that runs that, and we we do have an interview with him,
1: oh dude you okay, was it uh Mike may by any chance
0: um, you... I think so. I don't have his the cards right his his first name was Michael uh I know that for sure he went by Mike, but uh for the people listening the the idea of his service is you pay a fee. And it's like cell phone minutes. You pay a certain amount of minutes per month to be able to call up and have someone tell you what you're looking at in the environment you're in. So he use the example, he's walking in the airport and he's trying to find baggage claim. Well, he doesn't want to stop someone and ask them. He wants to just know where baggage claim is. So he puts—he has the Google Glass or or something similar to that. And he put that on. And then that video is going directly back to this uh, trained person who is going to look around and tell them what they're seeing. And it was, it was fascinating. It was. It, I thought it didn't sound real expensive, but I had some of my blind friends said, "Nah, it's really expensive." So, you'll you'll hear in the interview the cost on that.
1: Well, and I think that's something that they're still working on that uh, that model to to make it uh, be available for as many people as possible. So, uh, you know, I thought that was kind of an interesting take. Uh, we've certainly seen a number of companies working on. Uh, artificial intelligence to be able to recognize uh, devices, as well as uh, other companies that do kind of the crowdsourcing of you take a picture and it uh, matches it with someone else who uh, helps tell you what you're looking at, uh, but. There's also some privacy concerns I've heard from people around that. So it's an interesting model. Uh, we'll, we'll see kind of uh, where they go with that. I uh, saw a number of companies looking at beacons. Uh, that's something that I'm very interested in. One of the challenges uh, I look at is how do we do indoor navigation? Um, you know, certainly GPS works quite well outside, mm-hmm. uh, but when you come inside and you want to navigate the the show floor at uh, uh, a CSUN or CES or or elsewhere? uh, How do we help to enable that, especially in a way that works well for uh, people who are blind or low vision? So uh, there was one company, and I'm on a blanket the name at the moment, but they uh, they were more setting up beacons to help alert people for uh, construction zones and areas along those lines. So it would oh. actively engage your phone so you don't walk into the middle of a construction zone uh, without knowing it. So uh, yeah, there were there were a few interesting technologies there. I'd I, definitely I, be I, interested in here.
0: I heard um, Shelly Brisbane talking on a podcast about how she saw beacons done at a conference where there were little notifications. You're passing the bathroom. You know, information you could probably use, and and especially for booths. And I thought about that when we were at CSUN because there's there's a ton of booths. It was a really really great conference. A lot of a lot of really cool stuff. But we, I'd be standing there talking to someone, and someone blind would would march up to the counter and say, "What's this booth about?" And they had to have had to have done that 50 times that day, right? Just walk up, and they can't know if they had a, a beacon, they would know what it was.
1: Yep. And that's something that there are a number of efforts going on. There's actually uh, San Francisco Air, uh, Airport has done some work with beacons uh, now to help alert people to, yeah, here's the the restroom, here's your gate, here's where uh, a power charger is, where you know we are we're all looking for those in an <laughs> airport at this point. So um, it is interesting to see uh, the opportunities. Although it's also funny having uh, talked to uh, some folks who are part of the trial is. You know, they first try it out and they say, "This is amazing, so much information." And their second reaction is, "How do I shut half this information off because <laughs> it's too much?" So, uh, but that's just a matter of. Uh, learning the, the technologies and figuring out uh, you know, what are the right settings and giving people the opportunity to select what are they interested in knowing about that's around them. So I'm excited to see where that technology is going to go. There were actually a number of sessions at, C, uh, at CSUN this year uh, talking about indoor navigation, but it's something that I'm very, very curious because I'd love to see it uh, you know, roll out in a, a bigger and bigger uh, way.
0: So, do you think that things like uh, IBM's uh, AI would be a better way to do that than humans having to look at it and interpret?
1: You know, I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say particularly for for IBM or, or anyone else, but you know, it is interesting to see how much we can build into um, machine learning. Um, since that's one of the the challenges especially when you're talking about indoor navigation if you go into a basement of many of the hotels where these conferences occur um you know your cell coverage might not be there so how much can the, the machine, uh, whatever device you're using, be able to figure out what's going on around you and help to identify uh, different products. There was actually one of our, our CES winners from two years ago was a company called iPoly, which has an app that uh, is working on trying to do that uh, uh, recognition through your phone. Uh, just you know take a picture and, and it helps to tell you what you're looking at. So, um, I think there's a number of people working on that. I I think that would be a a great solution. Um, There's probably a little bit of a balance between person to person and and person to machine.
0: Yeah, it seems that when it's person to person, it's often really expensive is the problem, right?
1: Yeah, that is certainly one of the challenges is affordability. Um, And there's others, you know, there's privacy concerns and and other things along those lines that you want to make sure you're addressing. Um, But, you know, there's also a a lot of advantages you get by being able to tie a person in who's able to see what's going on around you and and really be able to recognize it. So um, I don't know that, you know, one is necessarily the answer versus the other.
0: Well I know Kevin Jones, who listens to the podcast, recently sent me a link to an app for the iPhone that you could point at different objects and it would tell you what they were, but its accuracy was maybe in the, I don't know, twenty thirty percent range. So I think it would it could very likely do more harm than good in that case.
1: Yeah, that that some of these technologies are still emerging, um, but that's actually one of the exciting things I see about uh, consumer technology is the product life cycle of yeah these technology sometimes come out and they're not quite uh, uh, not quite perfect yet but as they get used they learn quite a bit and that also because of the economy is a scale starts to bring down the cost as well so um, it it's kind of a nice look at where we might be going with some of these technologies?
0: Yeah, it seems that the economy of scale can work when it's uh, done with technology as opposed to humans on the end of a phone line, essentially reading out to you what's going on. That's what worries me is that doesn't scale, right? I mean, it does scale, but it scales linearly.
1: Yeah, and that's where it really needs to be a little bit of a balance of, of each. And you know, I don't know, um, you know, for any particular company what their what their plans are in the future, but. I think there's probably opportunities for uh, certain activities to be done via machine learning and certain activities to be done via person to person um, and be able to help recognize when when's the right opportunity for each.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Now, one of the things I had not learned much about before this latest CSUN was uh, the I hadn't learned about people who didn't have language yet. And that was one of the things that uh, I forget the name of the company. You just mentioned them a few minutes ago that they the people that did the eye tracking, that they had a way that people could begin to communicate who had never they called them first time communicators or first time language learners.
1: That was probably Toby uh, that does the um, the, does the eye gaze. Um, Yeah. You know, to be honest, I I don't know a whole lot about uh, that. Either, uh, but certainly it is interesting to look at the uh, alternatives to um, the the alternatives to communication. So whether it is using eye gaze to uh, control or, or speak, uh, that's something that we certainly see with the the ALS community is a, um, a major major user of those technologies, as well as other uh, conditions where. Um, you may not have the the ability. I don't know for sure, actually, how that works if you've never uh communicated before. Yeah, uh, so
0: yeah. Th- we'll be playing this interview, but it was it was interesting. They were showing how you teach someone to speak who isn't going to speak at all. Of course, um, they they had a a, a tablet where they had the uh, an arrow in the word go, and you're trying to teach them what go means and, and how to say that, how to, how to produce that word in the right context. So they had a little storybook that went with it that would show, you know, cars go boats, go, you know, a bunch of different, and then they would keep hitting the go button. So you're teaching them language that they're not going to speak, but this machine is going to speak for them. It was just, it was a whole field that I hadn't really known anything about yet.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating. Uh, It's a, it's a, I mean, I can only imagine some of the challenges, but uh, it's exciting to see what opportunities there are here as well.
0: Oh yeah, I got—you'll um, hear me—I got chills in the middle of this interview because for when she described people who had never been able to communicate before, who had never been able to communicate, you know, and all of a sudden they can, and the the effect that it has on them to be able to—they've only been talked to their entire lives, so it's it's, it's pretty powerful stuff. That's for sure.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check that one out.
0: (laughs) Well, that will be coming in the coming weeks, that's for sure. So let's see, is there uh, anything else you wanted to tell us
1: about? Uh, You know, really just uh, wanted to to thank you for the opportunity to Talk about what we're doing and how we see the opportunities for technology to help uh, older adults and people with disabilities. Uh, if people are interested in, in learning more about what we're doing, uh, you know our our website's uh, ctafoundation.tech. T E C H uh, we have a list of all the, the grant recipients that we have uh, uh, on that website. So, you know, everything from, you know, a, a group in New York that's working with uh, a virtual senior center for low-income uh, homebound seniors to uh, people who are doing, you know, work with, like, the, the American Foundation for the Blind uh, uh, teaching users about using screen readers. So there's a, a wide variety of different groups that we've uh, worked with and, and always happy to learn about other organizations that are doing interesting work in this space. And I also love to learn about the types of technologies in this space. You know, I try to keep up uh, on, on what's coming out and, and see them all at the, these various shows, but I'm certainly uh, not, uh, not catching everything uh, quite yet. So certainly if your users uh, or if your listeners uh, know of different types of technologies, uh, I'd love to learn about them. So uh, please have them reach out to me. Um, And if any of your uh, listeners are going to be at uh, South by by Southwest uh, here coming up, I'll actually be on Monday the 13th on a panel with uh, uh, Jenny Le Fleury, who's the uh, chief accessibility officer for Microsoft, uh, a woman named K.R. Liu from a startup called Doppler Labs. And uh, another woman named Kathy Bodine from uh, the University of Colorado, Denver, uh, talking about accessible technology. So we'd love to have people join us there as well.
0: Wow, that sounds like fun. It it sounds to me like you're just a geek at heart who managed to work it into a full-time job. That's what you're doing.
1: that is pretty much it. When a recruiter <laughs> called and mentioned that CTA was starting a foundation and would I be interested? I said, okay, so I get to go to that show in Vegas and I get to play with technology and help people. Okay. Where do I sign up?
0: Yeah, Really? What's the downside of that?
1: All right. Exactly. Well,
0: thank you very much for coming on the show. And uh, let's see, if people wanted to follow you uh, like on Twitter,
1: would that be a good place? Sure. Uh, they can follow – well, the, the CTA Foundation is at CTA Foundation, or uh, my personal Twitter is at S-E-W-E-L-L-2, S U 2 So both of those uh, accounts are, are relatively active on Twitter, so you can find me there. Um, people can go to our, our website and get information there. Um, and you know, certainly I, I love hearing from uh, people who are doing work in this space.
0: Great. Thank you so much. This was this was really fun getting to know you, and I promise next time I'll I'll, I'll contact you back if you write to me.
1: <laughs> no worries. Thank you for having me on, and uh, I look forward to continuing to hear all the coverage you're doing about these accessible technologies. So thank you for your work in this space.
0: Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. This is an unsponsored show, so if you'd take a moment and use the Amazon affiliate links over at or check out our Patreon page at podfeet.com Patreon, I'd really appreciate it. You can contact me directly at allison at podfeet.com, or you can join our Facebook group at podfeet.com Facebook, and of course, our Google Plus community at podfeet.com slash Google Plus. Thanks for listening, and stay subscribed.